Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today is September 6, 2022. This is the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, CEO and founder of Northbound Wealth Management. Markets uh, sag, job numbers soar. That's the headline for a review of last week. The overhang of Fed Chair Powell's Jackson Hole speech in the previous week carried over to into last week as investors recalibrated stock valuations amid a seemingly more assertive monetary policy stance. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 2.99%, while the S&P 500 stumbled 3.29%. The NASDAQ Composite Index lost 4.21%. The MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, slid 4.90%. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 3.2%. That's up on the week of 0.16% or 16 basis points. Year to date, it's up 1.68%. So what that means, uh, the Dow closed at 31,318. Year to date, the Dow is down 13.81%. The NASDAQ closed at 11,630. It's down 25.66%. MSCI EFA index closed at 1,790. Year to date, that's down... Three, uh, 23.37%. The S&P 500 closed at 3,924, which is down 17.66% for the year. And uh, today is the Tuesday after Labor Day, and, and mar- the market isn't exactly starting off on solid footing. Historically, September has been a difficult month anyway for equity markets. So stocks extend losses. Uh, investors remained unnerved by the aggressive tone of Jay Powell's speech and subsequent comments from Fed officials suggesting a higher rate hike than the market expected at the Fed two-day meeting ending September 21st. The probability of a 75 basis point hike in September rose to nearly 65 basis points, or excuse me, 65% for those who don't follow basis points, up from just 28% a month ago. Stocks moved steadily lower before finding some footing on Thursday. Friday's employment report appeared to strike a, quote, Goldilocks, end quote, note. Labor gains not so strong that it might trigger a greater uh, Fed hawkishness, but robust enough to ally imminent recession fears. After early gains, stocks turned lower ahead of the holiday weekend. Employment numbers shine, though. Employers added 315,000 jobs in August, maintaining the labor market's remarkable resiliency among a contracting economy. The the unemployment rate rose to 3.7%, up from last month's 3.5%. The gain followed an uptick in the labor participation, which expanded from 62.1% to 62.4%. Wages continued to grow, rising 0.0, or excuse me, 0.3%. That's 30 basis points in August and 5.2% from 12 months ago. 
sector seeing the most significant increases in new jobs were professional and business services, healthcare, and follow that up with retail. Lagging indicators were manufacturing, financial, and wholesale trade. This week, key economic data. Tuesday, the ISM survey index. Thursday, jobless claims. This week, companies reporting earnings. Thursday, Zscaler and DocuSign. Friday, the Kroger Company. And another thing that I want to add to the uh, the market review or market insights is cryptocurrency. Um, so what I've done is I've pulled up uh, cryptocurrency market data. It's from Slick Charts uh, on the currency page uh, under crypto. And the reason why I want to bring this up is because I haven't yet, and this is the 11th episode. So here we go. So Bitcoin, uh, which trades under a symbol BTC, um, it is currently trading at $19,170 per Bitcoin. The, the, the share of the crypto market that Bitcoin has is 38.10% of the crypto market. By far the greatest. The second place market share is Ethereum or ticker symbol ETH, which trades at 1,602. Uh, it's not even dollars. I guess it is do dollars or Ethereums or ETH, they call it. Um, and so it represents about 20.34% of the crypto market. After that, it really drops off. Tether being USDT, it has about 7% of the market. It trades at just over a buck. USD coin, uh, which has about 5.3% of the market, is um, right at a, at $1.99999 if you truncate it, if you round up, it's one. Um, and then from there, uh, BNB has 4.5% of the market, trades at $268. Um, dollars, dollar equivalents. Binance has about 2%, which trades at just over a dollar. Uh, Cardano has 1.68% of the crypto market, which trades at about 47 cents. Uh, XRP, which trades at, uh, ha which trades at 32 cents, has about 1.68% percent of the market share. Solana has 1.15% of market share and trades at $31.92. Polkadot uh, has a, has like 82 basis points or 0.82% of the crypto market and it trades at $7.15. Dogecoin, which a lot of people have heard about, um, is about the same as Polkadot. So a market share of 0.82% trades at about six cents per doge. Um, let's see, Polygon, um, DAI or DAI, Shiba, Tron, Avalanche, uh, Ethereum Classic, Wrapped Bitcoin, Litecoin, FTX Token, Cosmos, Chainlink, Near Protocol, Kronos, uh, Monero, Stellar, uh, Algorand is down there, Flow is down there. And they're all like sub, uh, <laughs> freaking sub, like 50, less than five tenths of 1% of the market. And they're all trading at like 
a buck or less or something like some of these trade higher. It's interesting, like 60 bucks for Zcash, you know, but we'll see. Um, anyway, for those of you who are traditional investors, this is like Greek and I totally get that. Um, I'm covering this as a start to touching some of this Bitcoin crypto stuff. Not that I'm an expert or self-proclaimed expert, um, but it is part of our uh, financial market system and we need to educate ourselves about it. So why not begin with tracking it? I've been tracking it for some time now, studying studying the crypto markets for some time. Um, because I'm engaged in the financial services business, we need to try to educate ourselves about it. But um, as far as putting it on this podcast, I figured it might be interesting to begin a dialogue and sharing information with you guys. So hopefully you enjoyed that part. And then stay tuned for the next segment. So I don't know if you've heard, but the White House recently forgave up to $10,000 to student loan borrowers as part of a larger debt forgiveness program. There are still quite a few questions to be answered, but here are some key points to know. Pell versus non-Pell. Loan forgiveness of up to $10,000 is available to non-Pell grant recipients and up to $20,000 for Pell grant recipients. Only federal student loans are able to be forgiven. Loans held through a private lender are ineligible for this program. No surplus. The amount of student loan forgiveness available depends on how much you still owe. If you only owe $8,000 in federal loans, but qualify for $20,000 of relief, you will not be receiving the surplus of $12,000. Income cap. Borrowers with pandemic-era salaries under $125,000 for individuals or under $250,000 for married couples or heads of households are eligible for relief. Loan dates. Federal loans taken out after June 30th, 2022 do not qualify for loan forgiveness. Application process. Depending on your lender, you may already be approved and have your account credited by the end of the year. However, an application is expected to be released in the coming weeks before the student loan payment pause ends on December 31st, 2022. Be aware, as more details are released, scams may also pop up. And remember to practice caution and good business sense if someone contacts you about your student loans. And as always, I'm happy to help with any questions you may have. The rule of 72 is one way of determining how long it may take for an investment to double in size, given a fixed annual compound interest rate of between six to 10%. Unfortunately, this rule is less effective for compounding interest rates lower than 6% and higher than 10%. To use the rule of 72, you divide 72 by your interest rate. Using the rule of 72, you can determine that if you make a one-time investment of, say, $7,500 today at an annual growth rate of 
7.2%, that principal amount will potentially grow to $15,000 in 10 years, $30,000 in 20 years, and so on. While the rule of 72 is a reasonably accurate shortcut for estimating growth rates that will fall between 6 and 10%, it isn't perfect. It's a useful shortcut that can help you quickly compare and contrast the power of different annual interest rates when deciding how to invest. As an investor, compound interest is one of your greatest tools. It's the interest on deposit or a loan that's calculated based on both the initial principal and the accumulated interest from the previous periods. But not all compounding interests are the same. To understand how much you'll earn from an investment with compounding interest, you'll have to consider the interest rate and the frequency of the compound interest. An investment that has a rate of 5% and compounds semi-annually will earn you more than an investment that has a rate of 10% compounding annually. Compound interest grows at an ever-changing or ever-accelerating rate. The more you invest initially, the more interest you'll earn and the more your compound interest will work for you. The funds and the money you earn from a, on a compound interest or on compound interest are taxable unless the money is in a tax sheltered account. The importance of saving for retirement isn't a lesson often taught in school. People tend to focus on more tangible goals to save for, like a first car or a house, or they put off saving for retirement as long as possible. What some people don't realize is that the best time to start saving for your retirement is right now. There are two big reasons why it's important to start saving for retirement as early as you can, making the most of compound interest and creating good savings habits. So making the most of compound interest, depending on the compound interest of your retirement savings account, those who start saving earlier can reap greater benefits through their compound interest. But let us show you a real life example. Let's say that you have a Roth IRA that earns compound interest of 7% in average annual returns, and you make the maximum contributions to that account every year, which should be, let's just say it's $6,000. After 10 years, you will have $83,095. If you make the same contributions to a regular savings account with no interest, you would have $60,000. The longer you're using compound interest to grow your retirement savings, the more earning potential you have. Making it a savings habit or a habit of savings. <laughs> if you decide to put off saving for retirement, getting into the habit of saving can be a challenge. But if you build saving for retirement into your budget from the moment you start earning money, the easier it will be to continue that habit for as long as you need. Even if you're in a position where you can make the maximum contributions to a 401k or an IRA, save every penny that you can. Then when you can, Get serious about max, maxing out your early contributions and take advantage of any employer-based retirement accounts. This can add to what you already are, are saving and serve you really well in the long run. Make saving for retirement second nature and start making compound interest work for you. The earlier you start saving, the sooner your retirement funds can reach its full potential. This is Brent Foster, 
Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights Podcast, and this is the Technical Analysis Spotlight. So uh, just want to take a quick peek at an indicator that I like to follow. It's the New York Stock Exchange McKellen Summation Index. And what I'm looking at is uh, multi-study of uh, the full stochastic uh, and then a uh, basically a relative strength indicator as well as uh, the different moving averages. And so as I take a look at this, boy, are we in a downtrend? Um, we're in, a, we've got a, it's a, a sell signal that's been going on for a little while in this bear market. We had a, we actually had a bull market rally from the bottom lows in June. Here we are uh, rallied all the way up pretty pretty uh, indicatively all the way up to the 200-day moving average at the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the New York Stock Exchange, EFA index as well. And then we failed to hold or break out above the 200-day and went right back down and started testing the 50-day moving average, which is failing this week, part of last week. And so uh, most of the indices are down. Uh, That doesn't mean we're out. Um, just means there's more opportunities out there um, for certain segments or sectors of the economy or stocks to be buying um, and or waiting to buy as we watch uh, some of this unfold. But the, the Fed really, um, if you've ever heard, don't fight the Fed, this is one of those don't fight the Fed moments. If, if they're going to be raising interest rates, then uh, positioning is, is really important. Um, and also, What I mean by that is staying the course. A lot of times, if you own uh, already good positions, uh, you don't uh, you don't bail on them or or fade them. So, um, what'll be interesting to see is what the equity markets do in September. September is typically not a great month. It tends to be a bit weaker, but on a calendar year basis. But looking out into the future. Um, I'm, I'm an optimist. I, I, I don't think that we're going to, that the Fed's going to try to, you know, raise into oblivion. Uh, some of the, the talking heads on TV like to, like to get the fear going quite a bit. Um, the, the key point that I want to make is know what you own, be diversified and stay the course. If it's, uh, if that, if that's what fits your, uh, medium long-term goals, uh, don't get caught up in the short-term market moves. But as we point out, technicals uh, were at double zero on this particular indicator, and then uh, still got a ways to go on the second indicator that I'm pointing out. So we'll see what happens. Hello, this is Brent Foster, your host of the Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to me. I know that every minute of the day is is valuable. So I want to make this as efficient as possible. And uh, I'm just really excited to have the Northbound Wealth Podcast uh, landing in your lineup as far as uh, timely, relevant economic news, financial news, maybe even actionable items that can help you navigate your financial journey. So uh, thanks again for tuning in and uh, feel free to reach out to me, provide feedback and Hopefully I can produce a great show for you guys every week. Look forward to hearing from you. Don't be a stranger. Talk to you soon. Thanks.